Hello and welcome to Broadband. I'm your host, Denise Kowalczyk. The show is part feature soul, part food for thought. It's a podcast that features personal wellness tips and information because you need to take care of yourself in order to take care of the world. Now, if you're the kind of person like me who's always asking questions because you're just darn curious about things, then you're really going to enjoy today's interview with published author Becky Saltzman. She's a curiosity consultant, an assumption buster, an idea generator. Now, her background is in behavioral science, and she's been studying curiosity's role in our lives for a couple of decades now. She recently joined me in the KBU studios to talk about all things curious. Becky, welcome to Broadband. Thanks for having me. So for our listeners, this is not my first um, time chatting with Becky. I met her, I think it was like three or four years ago, I'm guessing, another book that she wrote, um, which was so much fun and had sassy things in it. And it was all about real estate and it had chock full of great information and I always mess up the title. Arousing the Bi-Curious. Hello. So very tongue-in-cheek and very informative um, book. But we're here to talk um, about another book called Living Curiously. And um, I do have a very important question. Uh, In one of your bios, it says you like brown liquids. And I'm hoping it's whiskey. Is that the brown liquid? Whiskey, it's coffee in the morning. And then it's either Añejo tequila or whiskey in the evening. But it's brown. It's not vodka. It's oh. not wine. It can be beer. Okay. It can be beer. Because you could do porter. If it's brown, it goes it down. Stout. Yeah. yeah. It can be light brown. Okay. <laughs> okay. I wanted to clear that up right away. I'm glad. That's very important. I'm a whiskey woman, and I just wanted to see if we had that connection. So I'm pleased to hear that we do. We so. do. So let's talk about this fantastic book, Living Curiously, um, How to Use Curiosity to Be Remarkable and Do Good Stuff. Why did you write this book? Okay, I wrote this book for a small subset of human beings. And this is not for everybody. But this is for people who think maybe I'm in my 20s, maybe I'm in my 30s, maybe it's later in life. But I have this sneaking suspicion that I can do more to benefit the world. And even within that subset, I think there's a thinner slice of people for whom this method that is revealed in the book is designed and optimized. And those are the people who say, beyond that, I'm going to move beyond this desire into testing and investigating, actually creating and inspiring beneficial change. And I'm willing to get off the bleachers and into the arena to do so. Wow. And there's only a small group of people who would probably qualify. But wouldn't it be cool by reading this book that that pool of individuals would grow? It would be wonderful be if cool? we all learn to live more curiously yeah. and do good stuff doing so. So as I was reading this book, as I was going through it and um, then got to the method, and we'll talk about that, I just did a basic thing. And that was just put up my curiosity lens, Um, whether something was troubling me or something was pleasant or whatever, um, new information, I immediately would ask, now, why is that? What just happened? How could that be? You know, and and it was a really remarkable experience to go through that um, and pause Mm -hmm. and just use that that lens. And it just took me a little bit more deeply into whatever the circumstance was. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, whether you want to 
really get yourself out there and have massive adventures or even make small beneficial change. If the one takeaway I feel that one has is elevating curiosity ahead of criticism, judgment, fear, and complacency, that's enough. I mean, that's enough to be, in my opinion, worth the whopping 20 bucks <laughs> to buy the book, or nine ninety nine. I think, if it's on right. Kindle. It's okay. not, you know, it's a good investment, good ROI. Okay, very, I totally agree. Uh, very easy, informative read, and I learned a lot. So let's jump right into the method. Okay. What are the six, five or six points of the method, and then we'll kind of jump into each one a little bit. Okay, so the, the first two are kind of an internal inquiry using curiosity. And all of this is based on the science of curiosity and decades of research and interviews and interactions. So it's not just something made up. It's something that I found that remarkable people actually do using curiosity. And I want to add, you are a behavior scientist. That's I mean, my background. That's your yeah. background. So. Yeah, that okay. is my background. Okay. And so I've been studying curiosity for decades. So mm -hmm. the first two steps of the method, the first step of the method is start with what you're not. And the second step is dumpster dive your life. And these are internal inquiry challenges using curiosity. And um, the second, or sorry, the second kind of chunk or the, the third and fourth step, which is cross-pollinate, which I call... Um, collide with fear-inducing and intrigue-inducing people and places, again, using curiosity, and then um, uncover, uh, find, I, I was calling it uncover, but find uncommon commonalities. Um, and that is really based in persuasion, persuasion science. And then the fourth method is, the fourth, fifth step, rather, in the method is BLAST, which is blunder, learn, accumulate successes, and try again. And those are based on a couple of interesting conundrum as well. So let's dig, let's go in a little bit more deeply um, into each part of the methods. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, let's just be linear about it, right? Because I think you do talk about the process is a process. So mm -hmm. we're going to we're gonna stay with the process. And so, you know, start with what you're not, dumpster dive your life. So let's talk a little bit about that. Okay, so starting with what you're not is based on a very interesting fact that we have gotten, we become very uncomfortable, not only knowing what we don't know, but knowing that we don't know. And that discomfort makes it hard for us to know when we're wrong. And it creates a sneaky problem, which is when we are wrong, it feels suspiciously like being right, because when we're wrong, we think we're right. And so becoming uncomfortable with being wrong allows us to challenge assumptions of being right. And that's the first step in kind of in tackling cognitive biases for, for lack of a smoother word. So being open mm -hmm. to the possibility more often than not you're wrong, and that's okay. I mean, just being open to that and then being um, not judgmental, self-judgmental, mm -hmm. but being like, oh, trying to understand what's underneath that. Right. So a friend of mine asked me about judging compassionately, which is one of the most important kinds of features of the first step of the method, right? And she says, well, does judging, we like to gossip. She says, does judging compassionately make you, you know, less judgmental? And I had to think about that for a minute. And I really thought, no, it doesn't make you less judgmental. It makes you more accurate in your judgments. Mm, okay. And to me, that might be, from an insight standpoint, a more important goal. And what I found 
in these people who use curiosity in a very strategic way to do remarkable things, it turned out that that was a key distinction for them as well. Can you cite an example? Yeah. So for an example, um, when I remember we had this garage sale once, and this woman came in who by pretty much every measure was unhinged. She was disheveled. She was weird. She was a little scary, inappropriate. And she came into this garage sale and she asked to go inside the house. Mm. And I re- I mean, I was just a teenager, at, you know, and I remember this so well. And she, my mother, who was not, you know, the most trusting, naive, it's not like she was some compassionate Mother Teresa, but she, there was something about this woman that she was curious about and judged her differently, I would argue more accurately. She gave the wo- woman orange juice. And it turns out that the woman was heading toward a diabetic coma. She wasn't unhinged at all. She was highly diabetic, going into ketosis, and the orange juice just snapped her out of it. And, you know, I remember my mother explaining that that is the difference between just being compassionate and judging compassionately. It's just pausing and being thoughtful and asking the questions. Yeah, I said, well, she, I said, what, how did you know? She says, I was curious. And not being but, you know, it's not assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. Conclusions. Busting assumptions. Excellent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, dumpster diving. Yes. <laughs> that brings up a variety of images. Um, uh, why that term? And let's talk a little bit about that. So many things that we try to impress people with are obvious and seeming trying to be impressive, right? I mean, whether it's degrees, whether it's um, awards, whether it's jobs. And we t- and then we talk a lot about authenticity. And, and it's kind of a word that's bandied about, you know, and what does it mean? Well, well, everything indicates with these remarkable people and in the science of branding and all of this and using curiosity, everything indicates that it is really the things, the stories, the early conversations and early experiences from the dumpster of our lives, things that we've dismissed as not impressive or mundane to us that really seem interesting to other people. And that's how we connect. So for example, let's say I have, you know, a PhD in something. And I tell you, I have a PhD in something, and that's all fine and good, but there's no context for it. But if I tell you, you know, when I was six years old, my parents cut my hair, dressed me as a boy, and dragged me to the first of hundreds of auctions so I could learn the lost art of selling from the master persuader auctioneers, you might start saying, hmm, interesting, your knowledge in persuasion science has a more interesting root. And we all have these stories, and they're free. Mm -hmm. And yet they're either sometimes painful, sometimes embarrassing, sometimes not impressive, but they're there, and they are how we connect with others. And being curious about that is very important. So at this point, these first two steps, it's an inner excavation. Yes. Yeah. It's really elevating curiosity. And dumpster diving, you really have to elevate curiosity, particularly if you're with... You don't know what's in there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, or you've dismissed it. Yeah. Or you don't think it's impressive because it's something stupid. It's a simple story, a simple conversation. You might not even know why it makes sense. But when you excavate it and share it, it starts to form. It starts to form. And the reason for its excavation becomes clear. And it's, you know, part of... uh, the whole art of storytelling yeah, and, and all of that. So yeah. the next thing, I think there's my favorite step. 
is cross pollinate. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that as a, a podcaster interviewing people. <laughs> I, I I can only imagine. Yes, and it's interesting. The cr- cross pollinating is the, in my opinion, the most fun step because you know it, colliding with fear inducing and intrigue inducing people and places. And and I make a distinction between fear and phobia. This is like an eyebrow plucking level of you know I'm fearful that it's going to hurt my you know like it's not supposed to be you know torturous right, but so often we don't know how to meet interesting people. We might identify someone and say, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could meet so-and-so? Or I'm interested in learning more about Wiccans or witches or, or radio, radio, for mm-hmm. example. And yet we don't really have, you know, when we're in fourth grade, we can come in and say, hey, I'm working on a school project. Can I have a tour of the radio station? But we don't have that ability as adults to kind of get the behind-the-scenes look. Um, telling people that you're working on a Living Curiously project is kind of, you know... It's, it's the kind, past. It's the past. It's the backstage pass. Yeah. And you can always be working on a Living Curiously project. So that those kinds of those kinds of experiences have been those were the most fun in terms of creating and exploring and excavating the the, the method. So it was a lot of the connecting of dots of mm-hmm. sorts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and then connecting the dots. So mm-hmm. taking completely unrelated things and zigzagging them into meaning. But it starts with connecting with fear-inducing and intrigue-inducing people in places. It's stepping a little That's, outside that your comfort zone. That does take a little bit of chutzpah. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Chutzpah? Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> chutzpah. <laughs> you can... <laughs> have to add that little kick to it. Um, so find uncommon commonalities. Mm-hmm. That was also something that was very interesting to me because it's not. it goes back to the dumpster diving mm-hmm. where nothing's wasted in there. Mm-mm. So this sort of aligns in my head that it's looking at those connecting points. Yeah, well, you know, it seems kind of obvious. You find things in common with people, and that's kind of obvious. And you say, okay, that's not really the biggest aha moment. However, it really is the uncommon element of the commonalities that's powerful. So you're walking down the street, and you see someone with, you know, a University of Texas hook'em horns sweatshirt. I don't even know, right? And you see them walking down the street in Austin, Texas. Well, that's a commonality. Now you see them in Amsterdam, and you went, you're wearing the same shirt, or you went to UT. That's going to be a very different experience. Or you're the only woman at a conference full of men versus a woman at a conference with a lot of women and men. Mm-hmm. That uncommon commonality is really the, the not so obvious. And to seek that, like to actually seek that in order to connect, to mm-hmm. push forward your whatever you're working on is unbelievably powerful. And I love on page 115 and 116 a whole list of <laughs> uncommon examples. And my question was, which I wrote here was, um, are these real or did you take some? I mean, did you talk to people or some of these your things like... Um, Sports, you both competed for an Olympic spot in swimming. Did you do that? No, I did not compete for, I, I could have, but no one would have been aware of it. Because <laughs> these are like, do you both like spicy grasshoppers and mole sauce? Yeah, I mean, that, that one is. Actually, is. I did find someone. You know, and even as simple as I was with, yeah. a, I don't like chocolate. Yeah. And I was speaking to a group of people and I said, 
how many people don't like chocolate and one person raised their hand and uh-huh. afterwards she came up and she, we were just talking tra- we were just talking trash about chocolate how can I, you be we won't do that here no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not yeah, that we don't yeah. have that uncommon commonality yeah. i guess yeah yeah, yeah. well these are really fabulous i'm not going to recite them all you're going to have to buy the book cuz they're pretty cool um okay so then we have the final step five blast blunder learn accumulate successes try again so Mm -hmm. let's talk about that well it's really finding you know this whole thing of failure is kind of a buzz phrase fail forward fail sideways fail fast fail slow quitters never quit i mean you know quit the easiest thing to do is to quit well i mean Try telling that to me with a bowl of chips and salsa and a pitcher of margaritas in front of me, the easiest thing to do to quit. These are platitudes, right? right. And yet, Mm -hmm. and yet, Mm -hmm. curiously, again, excavating your supposed blunders for successes is critical. And sometimes time is the thumb on the scale. So if you measure the success of a book launch, you know, the day before the book launch, it's going to be that's the wrong time to measure it. If you are creating any kind of project, and particularly one where you're really trying to create and inspire beneficial change, right? Which is the purpose of the living curiously, mm-hmm. purpose of living curiously, purpose of the book. If you're trying to do that, the time to measure that, or you're starting any endeavor, is critical. And that's where the two conundrum come in that are involved in the blast, the quit-fail conundrum. Okay. When is quitting failure and when is failing to quit failure? Interesting, right? To know when to stop or not stop. Right. And how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And there's very specific things using curiosity. And this is what people, this is, this was a huge distinction in some of these remarkable people. They understood the difference between sunk costs Mm -hmm. and opportunity costs. And time and time again, these people would talk about this and they may not use the term, but they got it. And I was thinking, you know, time and time again, it's like the common, that was the uncommon commonality in these remarkable people that I interviewed, Okay, you know. Excellent. So I have a question, um, I'm sure in your studies of long ago, but living life and that constant life study, you're hearing, I'm sure a lot about growth mindset mm, and mm-hmm. fixed mindset. Do it. Yeah. How does that um, fit into this conversation. Is okay. there a place for that stuff, that mindset stuff? There is a lot of, so curiosity has been an ingredient in a lot of kinds of other, tr- either trendy or truly scientific things like creativity, mm-hmm. mindfulness, growth mindset, all of that. I I would like to give, I would like to make it its own meal because I think it's somewhat different, but it definitely is an element because you have to be curious about your limitation, limitations. It starts with curiosity um, when you're looking at the growth versus fixed mindset, mm-hmm. right? But it's not the same, but it's an ingredient, I would say it's an ingredient, just like I think it's an ingredient in creativity. I think curiosity gives creativity its relevance. So if you're doing something, some art project that's just fun for you versus you're a graphic designer doing something for a bigger, kind of not a bigger, but an mm-hmm. actual purpose mm-hmm. other than just creating art. So it is an ingredient in the growth mindset, but it's not synonymous with. Gotcha, gotcha. So when you were going through um, living this and then documenting it, yes. um, you provide exercises, you encourage people to experiment, right? That's all part of this process. Yes. What was the most challenging exercise or experiment that you had to do? Okay, so I had, there were some interesting ones. Some of them involved 
you know, spelunking in caves when I am severely claustrophobic and trying to understand or trying to understand hunger, going on kind of long fasts and trying to explore hunger from mm. curiosity. But the most difficult of all was when I went to the largest Pray the Gay Away convention in the country. And trying to go there, elevating curiosity ahead of criticism, right, ahead of judgment, certainly ahead of fear, and ahead of complacency, ahead of being complacent that I know this is, I know what I know about this and my opinion is right, mm -hmm. which is a form of complacency, but actually trying to extract insights when I have strong opinions, that was probably the hardest time I spent. And listening to some of these people whose opinions were so different from my own and trying to do that from a place of curiosity, that was the hardest thing I've ever done testing this. I'm just trying to put myself in that moment with and you. And alone. And alone. <laughs> so there's courage on so many levels. Otherwise, I would have probably had someone that, you know, I don't want to wink and, you know, make yeah. it all kitschy. Right. Yeah. right. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you were talking to folks at that event, I mean, did you say, oh, I'm writing a book? But no. I'm just, you were just there. Mm -hmm. I, hey, I'm just curious about this. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. I didn't tell them. They didn't ask. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, have your friends and families used the method? Have they reported back? Yeah. And what kind of reports back have you gotten? So my sister said, my sister and I have traveled a lot. We've done these kind of curiosity quests, right? And she says that the whole idea of living curiously, not just the method, but just the concept of elevating curiosity and then kind of putting curiosity first, right? That has changed her life dramatically. So she said not only the insights in her adventures when she travels are just supersized, right? She meets new people. She's made more, more connections for work, whatever. And she's really the first one that she's been my first victim, I would say, because a lot of this, you know, we, we've done a lot of traveling together. And mm -hmm. I'll say, okay, now i got to go work on some things. And she'll, I'll say, you know, we're in a bar or, we, or we're there to meet someone right. in, specifically. Um so, yeah, absolutely. And my kids, I would say that my youngest son learning about this method probably helped save the life of my oldest son when we were um, dealing with his cancer. And that was as simple as calling me out, calling VS on me when I was trying to cancel a second opinion because the first opinion gave me so much comfort. Mm. And then saying, you know, wait a minute, what is... You told me that, you know, being curious about a second opinion and you told me that when you're stressed, it's not time to make decisions. And you told me that, you know, you need to be more curious. And that probably and, you know, it's a little dramatic to say, but I think if, if you know, people familiar with this situation might acknowledge that sharing living curiously with at least my family and friends has had profound effects. How old was he at that time? My son. The young, yeah. So the Barkley uh -huh. was 17. So Dane was 15. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. 14, maybe. That's pretty, that's an incredible story. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just calling his mother out. He enjoyed, you know, he yeah. enjoyed correcting his mom, but I, you know, and I probably didn't at the time, but in hindsight, <laughs> that was one time you can contradict your mother. That's right. <laughs> Children are here to teach us as well. Yeah. Right? Well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I tell myself when my 12-year-old Lila is sassing me. She's teaching me something here, yeah, teaching me something. Um, I loved um, your questions in the book. You have like, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, this hodgepodge of questions. And like, for instance, you know, can you buy a tractor with a cigar? Yeah. Um, yeah. Where did that, 
where did that kind of stuff come from? I mean, were those, did you extrapolate that from hearing people's stories or was it something at the front end of your exploration? Okay, that's a good question because it would be a little bit cheating to say that it's at the front end, right? But it probably is somewhat true if I'm if I'm totally honest because those are the kinds of questions that I was subjected to. You know, okay. I grew up in a kind of a weird environment with these being dragged to all these auctions. And it was like I lived in a cabinet of curiosities. So that was you. That was me. Okay. That was me. That was me. So I kind of conflated to a couple of things just to make a point because I just, you know, but that was me. So that really did happen. I come from a family of auctioneers. And when I say auctioneers, I mean like industrial auctions and art auctions and not cattle, but, you know, so my dad was bringing home crazy things and things that were, you know, strange and unusual and tractors and all of this, you know, machines and grease. And so I needed, I was quizzed. And oftentimes there was, there's a subtle, there's a a subtle subtext, you know, within auctions because there's people bidding for hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And whether it's art or a big tractor or a crane or something, and there's competition, right? You might have your competition there. So there's little ways and little micro expressions and little things and little tricks that certain bidders are known for. And one of them in the book I talk about was a guy with a cigar, and he would tip his cigar up and down ever so slightly because he didn't want his competitors to see him bidding. Um, or he was trying to bid up his competitors so they would pay too much for something, you know. I mean, so there's How little clever. things. So those kinds of questions I grew up with. So I tried to then bring some of those questions to some of the people that I was interviewing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love the stories. Um, I love the questions in this book, Living Curiously. Um, and I think that you uh, have touched on this, but... Um, the ultimate desire after someone reads this. But I want to ask the question specifically, what would you hope someone takes away from reading this book? Okay. How so, will you know when you've been successful in conveying a message here? Oh, that's a, tar- that's a, t- that's, that's, a, that's, a that's, that's a tougher question. I mean, okay. that's a, that's a, they're both excellent questions. Mm-hmm. I'll answer the first cause it's easier. Mm-hmm. So, then, so I would say that, uh, well, first of all, I'll start by saying the reason I wrote it now is I absolutely believe that now is the time to usher in the age of curiosity. I do. And the reason I believe this is because we have two things kind of fighting against our curiosity. One is um, our cognitive biases, that we we tend to believe things that confirm what we already believe and discount evidence no matter how valid to the contrary, you know. So we dismiss evidence that, you know, whether it's political, we if we're a Donald Trump supporter or a Donald Trump hater, we would, if we're a Donald Trump supporter, we believe things that support what we believe and discount things to the contrary and, and conversely, right? And it's particularly salient in a political year, right, election year, rather. But there's something else, too, and that is that where we live virtually, it's done for us. So if we live on Facebook and we don't like certain things, those algorithms tend to enhance our confirmation bias, right? So we stop seeing things that we don't like because we don't like them. And so, and then we might, if we're mm. particularly snarky, we might dis, we might unfriend people that disagree with us. So not only do our worlds, because of being human beings, become silos of sameness, our virtual worlds become mm. silos of sameness. And when we 
And we lose our ability to gain insights because we lose our ability to agree to disagree in an agreeable way. And when we don't know that we're wrong, which is what I talk about in the method, and we aren't used to it, we become further and further divided. And we're seeing this now. You have hit the nail on the head, my friend. What is wrong with the world is that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this disconnect, this, and we were talking off mic about this, we don't have a place for discourse and we're not challenged or engaged in a moment of pause to say, hmm, I didn't even think of that before. You know what I mean? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong or whatever it is. Not, hi- not hypothetically, actually, not rhetorically really really wrong and so being in social media land for example um it's like it's layered because one, one you're controlling managing the information that you want to see or want to hear i know well, i've been on facebook i've seen something i didn't like so i hide posts from that person mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and the other part of being engaged in the social media act consumption itself is also preventing that exchange. And we can say, oh, be open, but there, we really need a, a safe word. <laughs> like we need a safe word. And that safe word is out of curiosity or curiosity. That is a safe word. And it's powerful. And if you just elevate it, you don't dismiss your thoughts and ideas. You just elevate that. You just do some simple little swap, just that reordering. It can be p- a powerful lesson and mm-hmm. provide powerful lessons and create insights and bust assumptions. And not to belabor the reason, but there's one other reason for ushering in the age of curiosity, and that is our device addiction. We equate curiosity with learning new stuff, right? Like, oh, I'm going to learn about poisonous dart frogs today, and tomorrow I'm going to learn about how to make an ice cream cotton candy. Yum. And we equate that with curiosity. So we have an argument. You and I are over cocktails, and we argue about something, and I pick up my device, and I look it up to prove myself right or wrong. That is how we view our curiosity. Oh, go look on the internet. Go Google that. (laughs) Go Google that, right? But the problem with that is we can only Google and find answers to questions that have already been asked. But if we cease to become curious, new answers will cease to exist. If we replace curiosity with Googling, then new answers will cease to exist. Oh, my gosh. That's kind of scary. Yeah. That's, that, that causes me to pause and think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I only have time for one more question. Okay. 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 Um, is it is, about whiskey? It isn't. Oh, Okay. But I'd like to know, when is living curiously not good? Okay. Living curiously is not good if you are not willing to challenge any of your assumptions. And I don't, I'll belabor this a little bit by saying, I took living curiously to this very brilliant Orthodox rabbi that I know. And I wanted to run it by him. And I said, you have to be willing to bust all of your assumptions. And he, and then among other things, and he read through the method, he loved it, and he said, except for one thing. And I thought, well, this is good, because if you say you love it except for one thing, I need to listen, versus if you dismiss the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, I am not willing to bust or challenge all of my assumptions. Hmm. And I said, would you be willing to bust or challenge some of them. He said, yes. So I had to go back and rewrite the book. 
Interesting. And I rewrote the book saying that you have to, you can pick zero to three sacred assumptions. And that's it. it. You have to articulate them. But if you are not willing, if that's, if you've got more assumptions, you're not willing to bust, or if your life is exactly where you want it to be, or if you're not willing to focus on getting your life right, because you'd rather focus on not getting it wrong, this book is not for you. Becky, thank you so much. Thank you. This was fun. That was Becky Saltzman, author of Living Curiously, How to Use Curiosity to Be Remarkable and Do Good Stuff. You can join the tribe of the curious, sign up for her e-newsletter, and learn about an opportunity to elevate your curiosity by taking part in a quest that she's coordinating by visiting her website, www.becisaltzman.com. Now, some food for thought. Family Ford of Oregon is a local nonprofit that works on creating an Oregon where all families can be economically secure. And some of the issues they tackle include affordable childcare, domestic worker rights, pay equity for women, and workplace flexibility. If you want to learn more about their work and how you can get involved, check out their website, www.familyforwardoregon.org. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Broadband. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check out some of the links on today's show page so you can get connected to Family Forward Oregon as well as Becky's book, Living Curiously. I hope you have a great day. Bye.